0: Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. Our theme is the testing of Joseph's brothers. And we're going to see the role of a guilty conscience today. By way of introduction, I want to remind us that this chapter takes place approximately nine years after Pharaoh's dreams and Joseph's promotion to the second most important person in the land, nine years have gone by. Seven years of plenty had come and gone. That uh, Pharaoh's dream uh, had the seven fat cows and the seven plump ears of corn and God helped Joseph to know that was seven years of plenty and then we're now in the period of famine. The dream, the that God revealed the truth that God revealed to Pharaoh was there would be seven years of famine and now famine has gripped the land. People are suffering from a food shortage. And this um, from the scripture apparently is worldwide. With that in mind, we're now in chapter 42 verses 1 through 5. Jacob commissions his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain. I'm reading now the first five verses. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So Jacob had a large family with many servants. And as the famine continued, it became more and more difficult to feed them. We read in a future chapter when it tells about Jacob and his family will eventually move down to Egypt. Chapter 46, verse 26, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons, And you have 11 brothers. We're not sure whether or not Benjamin at this time was married. There's some debate on that. But let's just leave him out. That would be 10 other ladies, wives, 76. That's a lot of people to feed. And so you can see the problem. Jacob notices his son's strange attitude. Why do you look at one another? Now what do you suppose prompted them to be staring at one another so that Jacob notices it and asks him that? We're not told. But from the data that we have received so far could it be that uh, Egypt is striking the memory button of what we did to our brother Joseph. We sold him down there, and now we've got to go down there. Perhaps the memory of selling their innocent brother, the traitors, 22 years earlier is haunting them. You say, how do you get 22 years earlier? Well, when Joseph is elevated to second in command, the Bible tells us he was 30 years old. He was sold by his brothers at age 17. How long was he a slave? Thirteen years. Then they've had seven years of plenty after Pharaoh's dream, and they're either in the first, I, I put second year, maybe that's too far in, But uh, they're far enough into the famine that there's a food shortage. So I would say it's more than a few months. It's gotta be enough for food to be running out. And so let's say, just round figures, two years. That means Joseph is now about 39 years old. So from age 17, when he was sold by his brothers to age 39 is 22 years. So, 22 years has passed by. Jacob refuses to let Benjamin, his only remaining son of Rachel, go with them. Now, you know why they sold Joseph into slavery? Jacob had showed favoritism to Joseph. He had given him that coat of many colors. Now, why had he shown favoritism? Because he was the son of his favorite wife. And you know the jealousy and the competition that would of necessity arise when you have multiple families competing for the attention of the same man. And the brothers were so jealous and angry with Joseph because of Jacob's favoritism. Nothing in Scripture Uh, implies that Joseph deliberately antagonized them. We do know that Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers. Joseph obediently does what his father tells him to do. He comes back and he tells his father the truth of what he saw. And scripture says it was evil report, but it was also a truthful report. And of course, the brothers were infuriated that we have a, quote, as the world will talk about it, a tattletale. And so that didn't enhance Joseph's status in his brother's eyes. But you can't fault Joseph for obeying his dad. His dad was his authority figure. Now, Joseph's been gone for 22 years. How are they treating Benjamin? Because Joseph is again showing favoritism, like he did to Joseph to Benjamin. Now, if they were angry with Joseph, they certainly would, wouldn't they, be angry with Benjamin? Jacob evidently has not gotten over the loss of Joseph and fears for Benjamin. But interestingly the 10 brothers don't seem to be angry that Benjamin does not go with them. So perhaps they've, in the 22 years that have gone by, they've grown in their own emotional stability and decided uh, perhaps that uh, they're not going to be jealous and angry at Benjamin also. Secondly, Joseph is going to confront his brothers and accuse them of being spies in verses 6 through 20. And now read those verses. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, that would be Benjamin, And one is no more. Thinking about Joseph. They believe he's dead. Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you. You are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined. That your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh. Surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody. For three days. On the third day Joseph said to them. Do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men. Let one of your brothers remain confined. Where you are in custody. And let the rest go and carry grain for the famine to your home households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Now, no doubt, Joseph had commissioners assisting him as he provided for the Egyptians in a routine manner. I mean... Egypt is a large country and there are cities of storage for that grain scattered throughout Egypt and Jacob can Joseph can't be at every city. So the question is, how is it that Joseph was there at that place when his brothers came? Well, why does Joseph get involved with foreigners? Now think about it, no doubt foreigners had to be screened carefully lest they had plans for invading the land to capture the grain. One of the causes for warfare in the history of our world has been not only aggression to gain more, gain the the strengths and the uh, wealth and riches that another country has, but when a country is facing food shortages and they see across the border another country has plenty of food, then they mobilize their armies. Let's go take this by force. Let's go fight and get food. And that's a, that is a major factor in warfare. So Joseph is screening very carefully the foreigners that come Now the brothers bow down to Joseph, as we saw in verse 6. This is a foretaste of the fulfillment of his earlier dream, which was back in chapter 37, verses 7 and 9. However, Joseph knew all 11 brothers had to bow down before him, as God had showed him. Therefore, he accuses them of being spies to find out more about their family. Here are ten brothers. Where's Benjamin? Where's that younger brother? Have they done away with him like they did away with me? How would Joseph know? These brothers are vicious men as far as Joseph's memory of them. He doesn't know whether or not they've abused and mistreated Benjamin just like they did him. So he's testing them. He's testing them. He knows they're not spies. But he's saying that to elicit further information out of them. The brothers tell of their family, thinking Joseph is dead. So Joseph imprisoned them for three days. Nothing like uh, being thrown in prison to heighten anxiety (laughs) and fear. Oh, What's going on? Why is this happening? And they're talking among themselves. And what do they say? Joseph releases all but one, lets them buy grain, and return home, warning them not to come back without their youngest brother with them to prove their honesty. Point three in my sermon. God convicts the brothers of their past sin against Joseph. In verses 21 through 24a. I'll read that to you now. Then they said one to another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, talking about Joseph, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Verse 23 informs us. They did not know that Joseph understood them. For there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and privately wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. After they were released from custody, they began to realize that God was dealing with them because of their sin and confessed to each other in Joseph's presence, believing that this Egyptian man wouldn't understand Hebrew because he's speaking to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. So they believe he can't understand what they're saying. They're talking in their mind, just among themselves. And they're talk, accusing each other. Why did we treat Joseph the way we treated him? now judgment day has come upon us. Evidently, they did understand the concept of sowing and reaping. Remember, they didn't have a Bible yet. There's no Bible available. This is pre-Bible, pre-Moses. But they understood that there was a God, the God of their fathers, Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, was a God who saw everything and was a just God and would evaluate actions and repay you according to your actions. And Now their conscience is smiting them. Verse 21, they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty. Now there's your confession of sin. We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us. We did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And they were dead right. That's exactly why this distress had come upon them. Interestingly, God is going to use Joseph as part of the teaching and the reaping. But Joseph doesn't show a mean spirit. It just sounds like on the surface that Joseph is being mean. Joseph is so moved by their confession of sin among themselves that he weeps. Now, why would he weep? Why isn't he embittered, enraged? Why isn't he vindictive? Why isn't he going to treat them just as they had treated him, have no mercy upon them? Because he chooses not to. He could have easily have responded that way. And this teaches us that God is not pleased when we get bitter, when we hold grudges, When we are unforgiving. for genuine wrongs. Wrongs done to us. Not just imagined wrongs. But from our point of view. Wrongs. Joseph had been terribly wrong. Spent 13 years of his life in slavery. Now nine years have gone by. And he has a chance at vengeance. Repayment. I'll teach you. Power is now in my hand. No, Joseph is kind to them. But he's not gullible. He's wanting to check. Have these brothers of mine changed at all? Are they the same hard-hearted, vindictive brothers they've always been? Now this confession of sin and their great distress of soul is convincing Joseph that God has been working in these brothers hearts and lives and changing them. Reuben is the one who verbalizes what they were all thinking. Now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They believed he died. Yes they sold him but they couldn't imagine him still being alive. Slavery was very very awful situation. They didn't realize Joseph could understand everything they were saying. Joseph is emotionally moved by their self recrimination. That brings us to the fourth point. Joseph jails Simeon and lets the other nine brothers go home, demanding that they return with their youngest brother is proof of their honesty. That's verses 24b through 35. I'll now read those verses. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Verse 26. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, the trip between Canaan and Egypt was around 300 miles. So it's going to be quite a few days journey. At the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. Verse 28. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We're honest men. We've never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest this day is with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you're not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. Verse 35, As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Why did Joseph choose to imprison Simeon? Simeon is the second oldest. Reuben is the firstborn. Why not imprison Reuben? The firstborn is the oldest, and therefore people hold the oldest most responsible. Well, perhaps Joseph appreciated Reuben's attempt to rescue him from his brother's Back in the day, he had heard Reuben say, don't kill him, let's put him in a pit. And Reuben had planned to later set him free. But Judah, when Reuben is gone to do something, Judah sees the slavery, the the merchants coming. Let's sell him, Judah says. And so without Reuben being there, they sold him. Reuben comes back, where is he? Oh, we sold him. We sold him. Joseph knew that Reuben had tried to protect him. What do we know about Simeon? Simeon is the second oldest and known to be a violent and cruel man. It was Simeon and then his younger brother Levi who had taken their swords after the Shechemites had been circumcised on the third day when they're physically not healed and very sore. Uh, They slaughtered all the men. Simeon and Levi slaughtered them all. Jacob was horrified. And Simeon is, in chapter 49, we're going to see when Joseph gives a final blessing to each of his sons. Simeon is known to be a cruel person. So perhaps Joseph wished to teach Simeon a lesson. We don't know. That makes logical sense, but we don't know. Joseph generously let them buy grain. He gave them provisions for their journey, and unknown to them, had put their money back in their sacks. One sack had the money at the mouth of it, the other sacks it was at the bottom. How was it that the guy who had the money at the mouth of the sack just happened to discover it. Well, you're going to feed your animal. You open up your sack. The other guys that opened up their sacks, no money. His money is there. Oh no. Now we're going to be accused of being thieves. How did this money get in here? What are we going to do? Well, they get home and they empty out the sacks and there's the money in the bottom of all the other nine brothers sacks too. We are in big trouble. We're going to be accused of stealing. So, according to Genesis 43 verse 23, Joseph Stewart, when they come back in chap- next chapter, second time, Joseph, they're going to confess about the money. Joseph Stewart says, he'd received the money for the grain he'd given them. We're not locking any money. I have an account. We got paid. How did that happen? Here's my best guess. It's a guess. But in light of what the steward said, most likely Joseph paid for the grain himself. So he could show his love and concern for a family he'd not seen for many years. Joseph is very wealthy now. So most likely he had his steward give their money back and then he out of his pocket paid. That tells you that Joseph is not a vindictive man, he's a generous man, a loving man, moved because of their confession and guilt over what they'd done. Joseph's actions parallel the actions of God, recorded in Romans 11.22 which says, Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God. Joseph was kind to his brothers, in spite of the severity of his speech and some of his actions. And considering all that Joseph could have done, they got off lightly, didn't they? They got off very lightly. That's what you call mercy and grace. What he did was for their good. His motivation was love. His purpose was to bring them to repentance and reconciliation. We need to think of this the next time we're tempted to think God's treating us unjustly. Perhaps God's wanting us to change some attitudes and he's gotten to get rough with us because we're not expressing the Christian life like we're supposed to express it. And God doesn't let the children he loved get by with wrongdoing. He chastens those he loves This brings us to our last point for our message today, Jacob's lament, Reuben's offer, and Jacob's refusal. Verses 36 through 38. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Now, think about what he's saying. This is a little irrational. He's the one who commanded them to go down, all of them to go down except for Benjamin. He's the one who said, go and buy, didn't he? And now look what he's saying to them. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands Talking about Benjamin. I will bring him back to you. Jacob said. My son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead. And he is the only one left. What do you mean only one left? Of his favorite wife Rachel. Again. What a biased. Unwise statement. This man is making. Again. Designed unconsciously to irritate anybody that was not that favored son. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Sheol's, in this context, is the grave. Let's talk about this. When Jacob said, you bereaved me of my children, now is this a hint? Jacob suspected that his sons were behind Joseph's mysterious disappearance. The strategy was: we'll show him the torn-up, blood-stained robe of many colors and ask, Is this your son's garment? And we'll let him draw the conclusions of what happened. They didn't say overtly lie to their father and say, we found his mangled body. They're just showing him the clothes, no body. And so, Jacob assumed some wild animal had killed and eaten, or at least drugged the body off somewhere. Now what's he saying? You have bereaved me of my children. You. Could Jacob have been suspicious? I don't know for sure, but that's a strange statement if he's not. Jacob's statement, all this has come against me, was a valid statement from a human point of view. But from God's perspective, everything that was happening was working for Jacob's good and not his harm. God knew that his plans were to get the family down to Egypt. The only way he's going to get the family down to Egypt was some extreme method and need for them to go, and so famine was the method he chose. Jacob thinks that this is God's judgment on him, when in actuality it is God maneuvering events in the life of these people to bring him where he's supposed to be You say, well why didn't God just tell Jacob, move on down to Egypt? I don't know why God didn't do what he did. He does what is the wisest thing to do. God is always infinitely wise. Jacob is mistaken, but from a human point of view all these things seemingly were against him. And this is how I sum it up. For God's children there's a smiling face behind a frowning providence. Let us remember Romans 8, 28 and 29. God promised for those who love him and are serving him. And Jacob was a changed man since his event before he met Esau that wrestling with the angel of the Lord at Jabbok. His name was changed to Israel. That God promised he would work for good in the midst of whatever happens. And that good is described in verse 29 as Christ-like development in his children. It's sad to see Jacob again expressing his special love for Joseph and Benjamin, something that must have hurt the other sons. In the next chapter, Genesis 43, we're going to see Joseph's test concerning jealousy. How do they really feel toward Benjamin? They were jealous of Joseph. Are they jealous of Benjamin? We conclude our message today with chapter 42. The testing of Joseph's brothers. And in this first test, their guilty conscience was revealed. And they confessed their sin. And they had genuine remorse and sorrow for it. May God help each of us as we navigate life. The devil is constantly trying to make us bitter, angry. Focus on the negative in relationships, the problems, the difficulties. And our focus is a choice we make. We can choose to focus on what irritates us and focus what distresses us and focus on the wrongs that were done to us. And we can rehearse that and rehearse that and be bitter and dwarfed and angry. Or, by God's grace, we can choose to put the people and the situations in God's capable hands. Knowing that he promised vengeance is mine, I will repay, but you have to forgive because if you don't forgive, most likely I will not deal with the situation as I want to deal with the situation. And when we fail to forgive, when we harbor bitterness or unforgiveness or nurse our wounds, we are damaging ourselves because Jesus taught us that if we want the Father to forgive us of our sins, we've got to forgive the trespasses. And that just reminds me, I didn't pray the Lord's Prayer with you today. We've got to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Meaning, if you don't forgive the person who's hurt you, God won't forgive you. That's extremely serious. You know why we're not willing to forgive? Because we think that somehow, if we forgive the other person... We're letting them off the hook. we're letting them get by with it. It's like they're going to get away scot-free, you know, get out of jail free and get 200 dollars in the process in one of the, some of these board games. Forgiveness is not a get-out- of jail-free card. Forgiveness deals with the emotional, spiritual health of us. God has promised that if we forgive, He will bless us. And he obviously will take care of the wrong that was done to us. Nobody gets by free. We only hinder God's working when we fail to forgive. So let's make sure that none of us are nursing grudges. Have unforgiveness in our hearts. If that's true of us, then let's ask God to forgive us. Let's confess it let tell God, God, I'm sorry. I need to forgive. I need to turn this situation to you and let you handle it. I want to be clear in my heart with you. So, Lord, with your help, I choose to forgive. And Maybe I can never forget, but I can choose to forgive and know that you're going to take care of that situation. role of a guilty conscience. If you want to have peace with God, you have to have a clear conscience, folks. We can't have assurance of our relationship with the Lord when there's impediments, things that cloud our conscience. So let's talk to the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart, know my thoughts. If there's anything that I need to make change, help me to change, even this morning. Amen? Let's pray.